1: Hey, good morning and welcome to the show. It's Tuesday, which means it's Technically Speaking Tuesday. And of course, uh, a couple of things we'll go over today is talking a little bit about the Dow Jones just shy of 35,000 I mean everybody's everybody gets all excited about these milestones right so every time we hit these 1,000 marks on the Dow everybody gets excited they get their hats out and you know that's a new thing so everybody's got 35,000 hats out now so um you know it's really not much we were there temporarily you know back here about a month ago in May so again all the Dow's done is pretty much just gone sideways now for a month but hey Closing at thirty-five thousand just sounds great, and it just you know kind of a continuation of the markets, right? So, um, you know, but we gotta have some, we gotta have a reason to cheer. So everybody will get out today, you know, the markets will close up, and we'll get thirty-five thousand. Everybody get their hats out, and there you go, makes everybody happy, and it's good for the hat companies, right? They need to sell hats. Oh yeah, right. Oh yeah. So exactly, I'm gonna get a Dow one thousand hat. <laughs> Figure that one out. Just, okay.
0: Just we're it 35 times.
1: <laughs> no, that's where we're going to wind up eventually. <laughs> the Dow shovel. Exactly. So anyway, just teasing, not saying the market's going to crash much. So anyway, uh, a couple of things this morning we are going to get into. Um, actually, just uh, kind of a, a, I know I'm joking about a crash in the Dow, but you know, price to sales right now on the S&P is currently at three over almost 35 Three and a quarter, right, times price to sell. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Never been here in history. Uh, that means the price of, of what you're paying for a stock is three times, more than three times, what they actually earn in revenue. So, I mean, just kind of think about that for a second. Um, and so really, you know, this is just kind of one of those signs that we've talked about here before. The Markets, markets are extremely overvalued, right, extremely extended, but it's okay because right now we're in the midst of, of kind of the, the market mania. Um, this is the point where people are taking a lot of excess risk and speculation because, again, there's really no, no concern here because as long as the Fed's doing QE, um, we've now trained investors that that basically means stocks go up, right? So, hey, nothing to worry about. Don't worry about, you know, simple things like <laughs> valuations doesn't matter doesn't matter right now will eventually but the point is is this is kind of the the topic of the article we'll get into a little bit today but it, it's just simply that bubbles are only recognized in hindsight and you know if you talk about a bubble now in the markets everybody's like oh you're just being embarrassed markets are going up it's great we're making money hand over fist." and it is it's fun right it's easy to make money right now every day you just put money in the markets markets go up everybody's good um but there is all the evidence Um, from SPACs to IPO issuance, the number of money-losing companies that are being put out in the markets, et cetera, that we are very much well, kind of knee-deep into the exuberance mode of the markets. And that typically precedes a change in the environment. Now, what causes the change in the environment? Well, what we need to change this environment is going to be a change of the Fed. And so the Fed's gonna to have to make a decision here fairly soon, and one thing we'll talk about also this morning, B of A just came out yesterday with their, their plan for the Fed taper. They've even laid it out on dates by meeting. So they tell you, you know, this is where we are at the next meeting, they're gonna to start to set the basis for a taper. And then they're gonna talk about more taper in September at Jackson Hole. And then they're gonna to put together in November a, a, a schedule for the taper. And then in the beginning of 2023 they'll talk about the schedule of implementation of the schedule of the taper and in other words it's just dragging out the whole taper and the point about this is jaw the markets into the understanding that the taper is coming but try not to create instability in the markets we talked about this a little bit yesterday the paradox of stability um the 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 problem with stability in the markets is that it creates instability when the market gets a hint that you're actually going to take away the punch bowl um, it doesn't matter whether you actually do it or not it's how the markets are going to interpret it and uh, of course since that has been the primary catalyst for overpaying for value when you start to remove the punch bowl in whatever manner you do that's going to cause a problem for stock prices right so it's just a function of us getting there and a function of time until it happens but You know, the important thing to remember is that people don't see bubbles when they're in the midst of a bubble, right? It's a psychological phenomenon. We're in the midst of a bubble, but nobody wants to see it to it or admit it because if we recognize it, then all of a sudden it's a problem. So we never understand or recognize that we're in a bubble until after it pops and then the media is happy to tell you that, well, nobody could have seen that coming, (laughs) right? Um, This is exactly what we said back in February of 2020 is that there's something wrong with the markets and something's going to happen some exogenous event and this is when we had inverted yield curves and all this stuff going on and we said there's something wrong here with the markets and the economy something's going to happen it needs to be an exogenous event of course that was the pandemic and nobody saw the pandemic economic shutdown nobody nobody thought we would actually shut down the entire economy over a pandemic we've had pandemics before we've had SARS and um, all kinds of stuff right Um, we've never shut down the economy we just kind of got through the pandemic of whatever it was and we went on with life. And yeah, it impacted economies and impacted markets, but we never shut down the economy and nobody expected that. That was that exogenous event that nobody anticipated in 2020. Well, that's what will happen here again. What's going to be the event next time? And it won't be another shutdown. Right, nobody. I don't think anybody's going to go through another shutdown again. Right, it's just pretty much you try to shut down the economy, you're going to get riots in the streets this time around. Uh, but it'll be something. Right, most of the time it's a credit-related event. It'll be some type of of thing relating to the credit markets that causes a problem, uh, failure of a big bank or something like that. Um, when you start taking a look at what's going on with the corporate bond markets, in particular, triple C credit spreads, those type of things, we're at levels that we've not seen really since ever, right? Some cases, they're at record low levels of spreads between, uh, you know, junk-rated bonds and higher, higher yield credits. And, and right now, for instance, the triple C credit spread to, B, to B-rated bonds, right? These are, these are kind of the junkiest of the junk. Triple C credits, are basically just one step from default. Uh, I mean, one missed payment, these, these companies are in default. The spreads, what people are, are pay, getting paid to take on that type of credit risk is at the lowest level we've seen since 2007, right? Right before 2008. So again, when you kind of watch what's going on with the housing market. You kind of watch what's going on with the, with the bond market, the credit markets. tells you there's a lot of complacency really about risk everywhere across the markets, and again, that's okay for right now. There's nothing wrong with that at the moment, right? Because you know we, we have the Fed in, we have that, that psychological support of QE coming into the markets. But the problem here is, is that the Fed's talking about changing that dynamic. And we're, we're ignoring that risk right here at the moment because they're not doing anything about it right now. So this is the, the whole promulgation of the bubble is that it's the fear of missing out on further gains that keeps us in the game for far too long and this is what eventually happens to all investors so again this is something we'll be talking about more as we get through the summer Um, as we get into earn and one thing we'll talk about after the break a little bit we're about to head straight into earnings season Uh, this is going to be peak earnings season for a lot of stocks and of course that also suggests that we could have this market hold up support here for a bit longer um, as we kind of go through the initial stages of earnings season but the thing to really pay attention to really are two things revenue growth because again at three times price to sales you're going to need a lot of revenue growth to justify that and secondly pay attention to what the outlook is for the rest of this year from these companies. So that's going to tell you a lot about what they expect to happen as stimulus is now starting to fade from the system. Be right back after the break. Get into our stories and more right here on The Real Investment Show. I
0: do get up that great big heel of hope for a destination I realized quickly when I knew I should that the world was made up of this brotherhood of man for whatever that means and so I- You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee. Coffee with Ratliff and Ross Investment realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: This morning it is uh, 6.17 as we kind of get things uh, heading out this morning. Dow looks to be down, oh, about 60 points this morning. Nothing major. Uh, Market's kind of flat here at the open. Um, Of course, you know, market's been pushing up here on all-time highs last few days. So, again, uh, as we've talked about here, you know, we're very extended here on this current run as Everybody was kind of, you know, kind of gearing up for the second quarter earnings season we're about to head into. And again, the first two weeks of July tend to be very positive anyway. And we're just kind of playing right into that, that normal kind of trend for markets. But here's kind of an interesting side note. I put out a tweet this morning. And if you take a, the, the tweets called 13 ways to invest in the S&P 500 and still underperform the index. And what this chart showed was is that the average return for the market uh, so far um, over the last month or so has been about, uh, sorry, the month of June has been about 2.3%. And they showed, and the chart shows about 17 different variations of the S&P, gross stocks, value stocks, um, the dividend aristocrats, the equal priced index. So forth and so on, and out of all these variations of the S and P index, right? So you're gonna, you want to just passive index and and get benchmark returns. Um, Thirteen out of them actually underperform the S and P. Only the growth side of the of the equation, right? Just buying the growth stocks in the S&P had the best performance. And, and you really substantially outperformed the S&P in in the month of June. I was just one month's worth of data, but here's my point about this is what that shows you is is there is a there is not a lot of really good breadth in the markets. The number of stocks above the 50-day moving average have been declining here lately. And, and if you take a look at the action in the markets, uh, over, really over the last couple of weeks, it's it's been very mixed. It's not been broad increases in the overall indexes. Small caps, mid caps have been grossly underperforming. Emerging markets, international, have been underperforming. Um, and if you take a look at the S&P itself, it's been primarily the fang stocks that have been keep lifting the, the markets. So, uh, the rest of stocks have been really mixed on a daily basis. So again, the breadth of the market has not been fantastic. Um, and, and it just kind of shows you that a one is that money's really trying, is really clustering into fewer and fewer stocks, kind of a liquidity move. Uh, I want to get into stocks I can get into and out of very easily if I need to. If the market starts to decline, easy to sell out of without without really Im- impacting my price. Um, the second thing, though, is, is that it, it's also a, kind of a function of uncertainty um, about the markets as well. When you start getting this narrow breadth and people kind of crowding into fewer, fewer stocks, it it's not the conviction that you're looking for. That says, hey, we're in a really healthy market. And and that's where we really want to kind of pay attention to what's happening in the markets. Again, as we've discussed previously, it's been a very, very long time now, uh, August, September of last year, that we've had a 5% correction. And that's a fairly long stretch. That's over 400 days that we've had. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> it's been a very long period of time in terms of the total number of days without a 5% correction, historically speaking. So this is, you know, and it doesn't mean that you've got to have a 5% correction. Um, it doesn't mean you've got to have a 10% correction, right? It, d- it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that historically speaking, 5 to 10% corrections are the norm in any given year. Right? Markets go up, they go down. And, and when we get fairly deviated above the 50-day moving average, retests of that moving average are a real possibility and and, and are very common. Retests of the 200, we've had a very, very long stretch now with test without a test of the 200-day moving average. That's also a very, very long record for the markets and something that happens on a fairly regular basis, right? So we just haven't had these retests of these moving averages in a very long time. So it's something worth paying attention to, right? It's just just part of that risk profile. And it's also kind of when you start looking at the deterioration and the quality of the rally, as well as the the length of time that we've been in the rally, uh, certainly gives you a little bit of of reason to at least pay attention to kind of what's going on with the portfolio and with the markets in general. Now, um, like I said, but just for the break, we we're about to head into earnings season this week, right? Banks are be kicking off this week, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. We're going to kind of start to see their numbers. Um, over the next couple of weeks, as we get into the end of July and really the first week of August, the bulk of the s and p five hundred will report earnings. So, as I was saying, the thing to really pay attention to is revenue. What's happening at the top line of these companies? Bottom lines are going to look fine. Between all the accounting gimmicks and uh, the write-offs and the the, the operating uh, analysis that we'll get, which strips out all the bad stuff, earnings are going to be great. And earnings on a year-over-year basis comparison are going to be dynamic. Well, this is going to be a huge quarter because we're comparing against the quarter shutdown in 2020, where companies had virtually no revenue, right? I mean, it's just everything just stopped. So the year-over-year comparisons of earnings growth is going to be fantastic this quarter. But that's going to be the peak. After this reporting period, that will be the peak of earnings growth. Now, does that mean earnings are going to start to go negative? No, that's not what I mean. But this will be the, the largest peak rate of growth that we will see. Next, next next quarter, we'll see growth in earnings. But the rate of growth will be much smaller because we had the big resurgence in quarter three of 2020, right? So we're just, the year over year comparisons are gonna make things look, look extremely well. The thing to pay attention to though is revenue growth because revenue growth is what happens at the top line. And you, you can't really fudge that too much. You, you don't do, we don't do operating sales, right? We don't do, uh, you know, we don't do sales with all these other kind of gimmicks to it. It's just sales, right? How much, I, I sold $10 worth of stuff and I've been manufacturing forty dollars worth of earnings out of selling ten dollars worth of stuff. That's really what's been going on in the markets. Earnings have have grown by you know two, three, four hundred percent versus what what sales have grown. But that's because of all the underlying manipulations and things like that. And that's okay, but it's not sustainable long term. But sales are sales, and it's really just what it is. And so you really want to pay, to what's attention, pay attention to what's happening at the top line. And I think that's going to be a bit weaker than what people expect. Now, the market's not going to pay attention to that right now, but that is going to matter as we get further into the next year or so. Um, given the level of price to sales in the markets right now and what people are paying for valuations— is going to become problematic as we move forward, unless we start to to really turn the corner and have have an amazing resurgence of organic economic growth that is basically unprecedented in, at, at any previous point in history, <laughs> because you're gonna need that type of growth to create the type of sales growth that you need to justify paying three times sales for uh, for stocks right now, it's just an incredibly high bar. So the point about all this is, is that there is a a, a lot of room here for disappointment um, as we go over the next couple of months. Now, also one thing you want to pay attention to with earnings as they come out is pay attention to what companies are saying about the rest, their outlook for the rest of this year. Stimulus is coming out of the system um, by September. All the extended unemployment benefits will go away. Now, the only caveat to what I'm telling you here is, of course, is that, you know, there is the potential that the Democrats are going to try to pass the American Rescue Plan in September, October, which is a whole new flood of benefits um, for household Americans, right? So it's going to be a Child Care Act and um, more uh, more you know, benefits for households through child, child tax credits, those type of things. So um, there's not going to be any checks, though, in terms of, you know, $1,400 checks to households, right? But this is going to be child care support, those type of things. So there is going to be additional government money coming into the system from that American Rescue Plan that could help support growth in the near term. But even that fades right so the the problem with all this government spending is a it's it's being derived by non-productive debt which weighs on economic growth and yes while you get a short-term bump in it you get a short-term bump in growth because you're giving people money to spend the the cost of living will rise commensurately to absorb that so after about six months all that will fade back into the system and people will still be go right back to where they were living before paycheck to paycheck. So you will get a temporary boost that leads to slower rates of economic growth in the future because of the non-productive nature of the debt being used to provide those benefits. But again, there's no guarantee that they can get Joe Manchin on board to pass that bill in September. And also remember that come September, October, all these senators and congressmen, there's a lot of them that are up for re-election in the midterms in 2022. They're going to start getting in campaign mode, and they may start worrying about getting re-elected if they start going too far down the socialist kind of ladder. So we may see more people kind of pull back from this idea of the American Rescue Plan than, than we currently suspect. I'm not saying that's the case, but it's a possibility. So right now, when you're looking at earnings and what to expect for the rest of this year, pay attention to what companies are saying now because that's going to be the real issue is where is revenue growth going to come from as the economy resorts back to basically its normal trajectory of growth, which is around 2%. All right, we'll come back from the break. We'll talk about why bubbles are only evident after they pop. And... Why this is something you should pay attention to. It's our technically speaking post out today. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back.
0: You, hallelujah, girls hit you, hallelujah, girls hit you, hallelujah. i I'm the don't give it to ya, the give it the to ya. Don't, don't, don't believe me, just watch you. You're listening to the Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next candid coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next candid coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. It's 6.33. So, uh, of course, if you're in your car right now listening to the show, we appreciate you, as always, as you're driving to work, doing the thing you're supposed to do, right, to keep this economy going. Um, If you happen to be somewhere where you're watching our live stream, glad to have you here as well. And, of course, if you're on our YouTube channel right now watching our live stream, you can join our chat window and ask questions. And we'll answer those questions in the next segment. Of course, our Google algorithm keyword of the day is sustainable living. (laughs) Chart out this morning. Uh, I think it's from Statista, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to verify the source. But it was a chart out this morning, and I toyed around with the idea of of doing a tweet on it, and then I gave up on it because I couldn't be snarky enough. Um, But basically it says, you know, we need to all move towards sustainable living. And let me tell you something. So I'm reading through the things that we need to do to achieve sustainable living. Here's what they are. Increase the temperature of your houses to— Basically, you know, 80 degrees. Um, If you live in Texas, you know what that's like. Um, Be a vegan. Stop driving. Stop flying.
0: Stop living.
1: (laughs) Kind of a point, right? Cavemen had sustainable living down, right? People living in caves had sustainable living down. So, This is what they're promoting that we move back to. So I've just.
0: So you're saying sustainable living is so easy, a caveman could do it.
1: Exactly the point. Yes. That should be the commercial. That should. That should be the commercial. Forget Geico, get the cavemen (laughs) back, sustainable living. (laughs) So there you go. Um, All right, let's talk a little bit about bubbles this morning. So. Again, I want to be really clear here before I get into this is that I'm not saying that we're in a bubble. Okay, this isn't this. That's not the point of the article. The point of the article is, is that we don't recognize bubbles until after they happen. And then everybody looks back in hindsight and goes, yeah, well, that was obviously a bubble. Why didn't you see it? Right. This is and this is the problem with the financial media. The financial media doesn't want to tell you that we're in a bubble because that doesn't sell product. Right. They need you to keep buying mutual funds, ETFs, you know, all the stuff that the sponsors pay for for their show. Right. So they're not going to tell you that we're in a bubble because they don't want you to stop investing. After the fact, they'll be happy to tell you that it was in a bubble and that they saw it coming the whole time. And why didn't you? That's the way the media works. Right. Doesn't do you a whole lot of good. So but I, I wrote an, I've written a couple of articles lately talking about, you know, some of the. Examples of rationalization that we do for the market, stocks are cheap based on the economic growth rate, you know, low interest rates justify high valuations, all these things. And I put out a tweet about a week or so ago uh, following an article that we talked about, talking about the bubble psychology and that – Right now, if you take a look at where we are in the phase of the cycle, we're very much in the exuberance phase. And you, and you know that by the number of companies being brought to market that have no revenue, um, the number of companies being taken to market through things like SPACs, right? We're trying to figure out different ways to get companies public that have no revenue and no business model. Um, the number of people that are chasing very speculative investments, People, um, you know, moving into leverage through personal loans and credit card debt to invest into the markets. These are all signs of exuberance, and they only exist at the very peak of the market when people feel like they are, A, missing out, and, two, there is no risk of loss, right? That's what happens. So I wrote this out, and a guy tweeted me back, and he says, you know, here's a – he goes, if you take a look at this chart – now, this is the value line geometric index. And again, you can always pull an index to to tell you pretty much anything you want. But his point was, if you take a look at this chart of the value line index, it doesn't really show bubble mentality. But again, you have to, this is kind of not a valid measure because A1, it doesn't look back. This only goes back to twenty this chart only goes back to 2017, right? And you're you're much higher now in terms of the price of the market relative to where we've been in 18, 19, and 20. Much higher now on, on an average price of, of stocks versus history. But the important thing is that the average price of the market is not what indicates a bubble. So if you take a look at Investopedia as an example, they have a definition of what a bubble. Bubble is a market cycle that's characterized by the rapid acceleration of market value, particularly the price of assets. Typically, what creates a bubble is a surge in asset prices driven by exuberant market behavior. Right? So that's what we were just talking about a second ago. During a bubble, assets typically traded at a price that greatly exceeds the asset's intrinsic value, price to sales 3.2 times. Rather, that, rather, the price does not align with the fundamentals of the asset. Okay. That definition is suitable for what a bubble is. But there are three components of a bubble. The first two are price and valuation. The problem with price and valuation is, is that price can remain elevated far longer than you can think. And valuation is a terrible market timing indicator. Yes, it can tell you what is going on. But valuation and price are simply a reflection of psychology, so the important thing to really to really study here is the rationalization about psychology and what's happening psycho- psychologically within the markets. Um, Jeremy Grantham had a, a chart recently about the history of asset bubbles, and kind of goes back to 1977. We look at the gold bubble, the Nikkei bubble, Thailand tech, U.S. housing bubble, biotech, then today's bubble right and he called it disruptor bubble but this is really a function of the prices right but the prices are only a reflection of the psychology that again it's that fear of missing out that we're all so concerned about right and and so this is Really becoming problematic here as we look at it, and again as an example, here's a, a, a chart. This is a 13-week moving average of Google Trends on how to trade options. Um, you know, after the crash in 2020, everybody wanted to figure out how to leverage up and trade options. probably the most speculative, you know, investment idea out there, right? Because options expire at zero. You either make money or lose everything. That's how options work. And as long as you call it right, you're in a good position, you call it wrong, you lose a lot of money fairly quickly. And so not only are people doing this, but now they're taking out credit card debt, personal loans, etc, to all do this kind of more, extreme trading. And they're taking on a lot of leverage to do that. So once you start taking a look at margin debt and taking a look at, you know, all this kind of idea, I mean, we're seeing this rapid acceleration in investors kind of leveraging up. Now, again, does margin debt mean you're in a bubble? No. Margin debt actually is fuel for the price increase. And this is the mistake that people make. They, they typically dismiss margin debt and they say, well, margin debt's just there to Increase the the purchasing power of assets so you can buy more assets and that drives markets higher. Absolutely correct. But it's also the fuel for the crash when it comes because when you start having a rapid price decline, banks tend to want to get their money back and they demand that you sell to cover your margin, which increases the selling pressure on the way down as well. So this is why when you start to see margin debt at exuberantly high levels, it's not the worry on the way up. It's the worry on the way down because it provides the fuel for that subsequent price decline in the bubble. But, you know, here's the here's the 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 point about all this. We're talking about the cycle of the market and the psychology of investors and investors go historically through a very typical cycle psychology wise. In markets, you know, they they when the market kind of peaks, everybody's euphoric. Uh, when the market starts to decline, we get anxious. Then you go into a denial phase where individuals, start, it's like, okay, it's, it's this isn't a crash. It's just a correction. It's going to go back up. Uh, prices keep declining. They start going through the psychological things of, of fear, then despair, then they panic, and then they capitulate. They sell out at the bottom. And then when they sell out at the bottom, it's like, I'm never investing again. And they stay out of the market. The market begins to recover. And as the market finally starts to recover, they get they go through the cycles of of I hope this look, I hope I'm gonna get back to even. I'm relieved now because I'm getting, you know, closer back to even. I'm kind of getting some of my money back. They get optimistic, then they get enthusiastic, they get exuberant, and then they get to the euphoria stage, which is Kind of what you're seeing now. Again, we get back to that exuberance, euphoria stage. We're seeing all the similar activities that go on at that peak of the economic cycle. So, again, and and this is, you know, kind of the point about this. When we look at that sentiment cycle, what do we have right now? Right, people are very optimistic about markets, um, easy credit. Very uh, right now, bank, bank, banks are easing up their their credit lending capabilities. They're issuing out mortgage debt left and right. I mean, uh, home equity lines of credit. People are drawing those down to invest in stocks. Very easy credit. Rush of offerings, right? Spacs, IPOs have have had tremendous number of those record numbers coming to markets um, of companies. And a lot of these companies don't don't make money, right? Risky stocks, AMC, GameStop. All those have been outperforming the overall markets. Stretch valuations, we've got trailing earnings at the highest level on record. You've got price to sells at the highest level on record. So stretch valuations, easy mark here to say that we're in the enthusiasm stage of the cycle. Does that mean it pops tomorrow? No, that's not the point of the conversation. The point of the conversation is to simply recognize where you are within the cycle so that you can manage the risk. So when you begin to see these things turn, And you see the trend and the psychology begin to change, you know that this time is not really different. Be right back after the break.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com advice.com the financial independence candid coffee with Ratliff and Ross real investment advice.com. the real investment show
1: All right, welcome back to the show this morning. Futures are still uh, kind of flattish this morning. Dow down just a little bit, 20 points or so. of course, it's been a decent run in markets here over the last couple of weeks. So a little breather here, not surprising at all. Um, let's get to our kind of our questions and comments section of the day. So first of all, a question this morning about where are we are in on our, our community chat room? Working on it, trying to get the new website launched first. Okay, that's hopefully next week. We're going through the whole uh Phase right now of you know checking for grammar errors, so we don't spell Brent's name Brant. <laughs> that type of stuff happens a lot, <laughs> or worse. Or worse. <laughs> um, so but it is coming. Uh, we are going to work on uh, kind of a community chat room, also kind of some some other things that uh, some neat innovations that we're going to try to improve on. Um, so yeah, so it's coming. Just got to be patient on it. Got a lot of stuff in the works. Um. So if stock prices – the question is, uh, if stock prices deflate, the consumer is still facing inflation of consumer goods. Absolutely right. So this was kind of an interesting uh, chart this morning as well, talking about that thing. Consumer confidence has really picked up here lately, right? So consumers are very confident about the economy because, hey, they're getting checks from the government, so why not, right? This normally equates to – where, you, where consumer confidence is right now, and how consumers perceive jobs hard to get versus um, not, that usually equates to a employment, or an un, uh, rather an unemployment rate of around of less than four percent. So here's the problem with this, and it's, a, and it's a good point you bring up. So right now we've got markets at very elevated levels. You've got unemployment that should be sub 4% based on consumer confidence and you've got inflation numbers that are really spiking up here and the Fed's hoping these numbers are transient. The Fed's about to be in a very very tough spot. If we do start to have very strong employment growth come in September October, so here's kind of the prediction, right? Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But Everybody's kind of sitting over here going, well, I don't need to go to work right now because I'm still getting unemployment benefits that exceed what I would get in the labor market. I've told you the stories about both my kids work in restaurants right now. Um, They're both, you know, getting paid well. My daughter just skipped over to to another restaurant because she'll get paid more because— Restaurants are desperate. They'll hire anybody. She went in to apply, and in the middle of the application, they said, by the way, do you have any friends that need a job? Um, experience or not, doesn't matter. They just need people to come work. And the people that are sitting on the sidelines are a lot of those types of workers. And they're making more sitting at home on unemployment benefits and they are working. However, those end in September. So all of a sudden you have, you know, roughly this 9 million people rush of people coming off the sidelines when benefits run out, they got to pay bills. The eviction moratoriums go away next month. So now they're going to have to pay rent. So you're going to have this rush of people back in a job. So all of a sudden this job opening, this record job opening numbers that we have, which we always have record job openings, right? Just it doesn't, It's a very terrible measure of actually what's going on in the economy. Um, But we have all these job openings. They're going to get filled very quickly. And then what, right? So now you have this unemployment rate that drops fairly sharply all of a sudden. And you have these high inflationary numbers from, you know, kind of what's going on within the economy. That's with the Fed in a very tough spot you know their their job is price stability and full employment so if you're at sub 4% unemployment and you've got you know 3 4% inflation fed's got a problem in terms of doing qe you've got record high house prices right now you've got you know uh, a lot of other indications in markets that are pr- that are problematic valuation wise and the fed recognizes this the question is how do they extricate themselves without blowing everything up that's And and that goes back to our premise that we said earlier this morning, the stability-instability paradox. Stability creates instability. By creating stability through QE, if you try to extract it, you create instability. That's the challenge that the Fed has, and that's the challenge that they have to navigate. And it's a very narrow bridge that they're walking on. So... This is, this is really kind of where we are. So, okay. Um, why do Democrats want more government spending if the market and the economy are so great? Uh, it's because they want to get reelected. Um, the belief is right now is that there is a giant demand for socialism in the country. And if I give people money, they'll vote for me. That's really all this comes down to. The idea of socialism doesn't really work. And again, you know, if you believe socialism is a good thing, look, why is Cuba rioting right now? Right. They're protesting. I shouldn't say rioting because they're not burning things down like we do here. Uh, They're protesting peacefully in the streets, but they're protesting as communism. And it's funny, right, because we've got these social justice warriors here in the U.S. saying the, we need to change the American flag because it represents hate and division. But yet, go take a look at pictures of Cuba. They are rioting or protesting against communism, waving American flags. Why? Because the American flag represents hope. It represents democracy, it represents equality. It represents all the things that social that these social Democrats want is what the American flag actually represents. They want hope, they want equality, they want opportunity. That's what the American flag represents. and that's why you see it that wherever these countries are that are protesting against communism, socialism, all these type of things in disparity, they're always waving American flags. that's why. It's a symbol of hope, right? So, this is this is the mistake that we're making. It, it seems, you know, this whole idea of modern monetary theory, right? Just give people money, and that's going to create better prosperity for. But it doesn't. You're creating, you're trying to create economic growth out of debt, but debt that is non-productive leads to lower rates of economic growth. It's a simple function of math. You've got to pay for it at some point, and that's just the thing that, unfortunately, politicians don't understand and they don't care about because they only want to stay in office long enough to to do what they want to do, right? They don't care about what happens down the road. In 30 years from now, they'll be dead, right? But they'll be in office before that consequence comes due. So, you know, in 2030, 2040, 2050, 2060, when we're approaching – You know, levels of debt to U.S. economic growth that are 150, 200 percent, 250 percent of debt to GDP, ultimately down the road, if we continue spending the way we're spending, Um, the economic prosperity in the country will be well below 1 percent. For the vast majority of Americans, it's not going to be a good thing. But nobody will be around in Washington that promoted it to deal with the consequences. But it's a good question, right? We've written on this before. There's plenty of if you uh, just Google debt and deficits on our website. We've got plenty of uh, backup material on this <laughs> to uh, uh, back up the point. Um, went by Kroger after work last night. It was packed. No panic, but everyone filling their baskets in the mood was one of concern. Yes, uh, there is a real issue with a food shortage. Um, there are some things that are going on uh, again that we're kind of seeing in various area, kind of various pockets of the economy where there is a real concern that we're going to wind up with a food shortage and and look this not there's there's a lot of conspiracy theories out right now you know the government is you know paying farmers not to grow crops you're hearing a lot of that and that's tr- that's a true thing by the way but it has to do with more control issue uh, for instance the, the the growth of oats as an example um, is at the lowest level on record. We're just not producing a lot of oats right now. Um, but there, but the, the problem with the food supply and, and some of the concerns about a potential food shortage have more to do with these still broken supply chains that we have in place um they're starting to get corrected for instance if you uh, you know earlier this year lumber prices were just soaring like 400% because of supply chain disruptions and we talked about uh, uh, 3 or 4 months ago is like hey I don't really understand this there's you know lumber yards full of lumber and it was really just a function of the supply chain that lumber now got out to market and all those gains in lumber prices have now been erased because of the supply is now back on the market and that's going to happen across the board but we're going to go through these pockets of shortages and one of the things we're going to see some shortages in uh throughout this year is going to be in some of the food food areas itself but but again yeah um you know, i was even talking to my wife the other night about you know hey order some extra when you order groceries you know pick up some extra canned goods you know things that are that are last you know for a while and and storage just in case right that never hurts to be prepared a little bit um so uh we talked a little bit about yields this weekend in the newsletter, and I'm going to do a podcast with um, Peak Prosperity here in the next couple of weeks also talking about this. Here, uh, Just real short, because we're about to run out of time for the show today. The thing about yields that you have to understand is that yields are a reflection of economic growth and inflation and expectations of that. If I'm going to loan you money, I've got to— and I, and when I loan you money, I only have two things coming back to me, my principal at maturity and the interest rate you're going to pay me. That interest rate, I give up opportunity cost of investing that capital into the equity market. I give up opportunity cost of investing that into to another investment of some sort because I'm loaning you that money. So that money is now at risk of opportunity cost. So my interest rate has to reflect the economic growth, the return of other markets, all those type of things all have to be factored into that rate that I'm loaning money at. When that rate is exceptionally low, it's a reflection of exceptionally low economic growth. And typically... When you have a very overvalued market in this type of environment that is a prime set of part of that bubble mentality that we're talking about, that's exactly what you see in the exuberance phase of the market. Great questions. Thank you so much for today. Um, as always, we'll be back tomorrow for the Wednesday edition. Danny Ratliff will join me tomorrow. We got a lot of stuff to get into, but be sure and get by the website today. The article on, you know, recognizing bubbles is on the mar- on the on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send me your questions, comments, emails simply by collecting Ask a Question. Answer those every day. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
0: Well, Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Literally,
1: it's a rich